Lord God, we worship you this morning. We thank you that you are in this place with us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you might stir us to know you and to hear you this morning. Lord, we thank you that that you are King, you are Lord of all. And God, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't know it, God, you hold the earth and you hold everybody in it, in your hands. And God, you love your creation. God, you gave your Son for your creation. And Lord, we pray this morning that we might know that grace and that forgiveness, that love that you have for us in a life-changing way. So God, we pray this morning across Sale, across Lock Sport and across Yarram and across those that are online this morning that the Holy Spirit might speak to us clearly and in a way that moves us to action. Lord, we're so thankful that we can come together as your family, as your church, unified around Jesus. And God, your desire is for us. God, we pray that you might use us to to love people well and to love our community well and to love you well. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Please grab a seat. Good morning. It's great to be back in the room. Uh, I've missed you guys. I don't know if you've missed me, but a few people did. A few people... Ugh, he's back. I'm sorry. Um, For those that maybe it's your first Sunday, welcome. Great to have you with us. My name is Brad. I'm the senior pastor here. I've just been away for a few Sundays. Uh, We had a great trip away um, up the coast for a few weeks and then um, got back and I got pretty unwell for a couple of weeks. And back to, I'd say, about 90% um, from what I was and uh, a bit leaner, um, trimmed down a bit. Didn't have much to trim down, apparently, but... I did, and uh, uh, feeling good, so it's great to be back. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, turn them to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 2 in a, in a couple of minutes' time, but we've been in a series, and I've been watching online and, and, and engaged with this series. It's been great, uh, called Same God, and this morning is our last, our last week, although it's a little bit out of order. Uh, we're looking at the, the God of Mary. And I don't know if you were um, here for the start of February when I was talking about this idea of spirit and truth and the idea that there's two rails to to our walk, uh, our faith in God, and we need to have the Word of God in one hand and the Spirit of God, if you like, in the other hand, uh, and both working together. And sometimes we like to lean into the Word of God and uh, sometimes, and that looks like maybe on a Sunday morning, we love to lean into the, the preaching spot and we think that's the main thing and... The, the singing is just a warm-up for the main act. And for some of us, um, we're here for the singing part and then the preacher gets up and we sort of go, huh, now's my time to get a bit of shut-eye and uh, play Candy Crush or, or whatever it is that you do. Um, and, and my challenge uh, at the start of the year has been to lean into that side in which maybe you prefer not to lean into. To lean across the other side of the track a little bit and my hope and prayer that as through doing this same God series is to, to link our singing and our preaching together. We didn't really want to preach on a song, although I just stole the, the, the title of the series from a song. Um, we really want to preach from the Word of God. We're not preaching the song, and I hope that's clear. Um, but we want to give life and, and, um, and depth to the songs that we're singing. You know, the songs that we sing, um, 
they're, they're full of words and ideas that are pulled from Scripture. And sometimes we can sing like Hosanna or we can sing these words and sing these ideas and we think, ah, that's a bit weird. And we don't take the time to, to dive into the Scripture and figure out, what's this mean? Where's this come from? Where's this idea come from? And uh, my hope and prayer is that as we preach this, and we might not do the, the song much more, that's fine as well, but that you can see that the, the singing and the preaching work together for our encouragement and uh, for God's glory. And so uh, I, hope that, I hope it helps you. It helps me. Anyway, so Luke chapter 2, have you got it? It's on the screen behind us, um, underneath us wherever you are, and it's Luke 2, we're going to read 26 to 38. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting could this be? And then the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you've found favour with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. Hmm, Sounds familiar. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you that it's able to teach us, encourage us, challenge us, and change us. And God, we pray that it would do those things this morning. We pray that we might hear your voice above every other voice. And God, we might be moved to action and obedience. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love living in Sale. I don't know if you love, I don't know if you, maybe you don't live in Sale, maybe you live in Longford or Stratford or Warwick or... I'm not going to go through all the towns. Maybe you live in Locksport, maybe you live in Yarram. Um, but have you ever tried to Google um, like restaurants in sale? Or, and it doesn't come up with restaurants in sale. What's it come up with? Restaurants for sale, yeah. And sure enough, you've got restaurants across in America or wherever they are. It's like, this restaurant's for sale. Here you go. This is what you're looking for. Um, it's a great town, but it's hard to Google. And I don't know if Google really thought that through when they were inventing themselves. Um, that they should, or Sale thought about that before Google was invented, that this was going to be a problem someday. Um, but I mean, it's a great town. It's, although it's, it's not really a destination that attracts people. It's not like a tourist hotspot or anything. I, I don't know, what's Sale known for? Driving through, if you're on the way to Melbourne from Bairnsdale. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a nothing town, isn't it? If we're honest. There's not like a massive... I mean, we've got the RAF base. Any RAFIs in the house? 
Yeah, fantastic. <coughs> yep. Yeah. Um, got the swing bridge. Got some swans. Uh, Lock Sport, maybe that's a little bit more of a destination. People buy up holiday homes there and retirement homes and, and want to go there. But, I mean, even Lock Sport, it's, it's a dead-end town. You drive there and you, there's nothing, you can't get past it. Yarram, uh, I'm not sure if there's a whole lot. They, at least they've got a little bit more history than us and they've got the murals and uh, it's a scenic sort of town. But I think we can all maybe agree, generally speaking, that our towns aren't remarkable. Our towns aren't really remarkable, but the people in them make it great, don't they? Do you know Nazareth was one of these towns? It was just unremarkable. And this is the town in which Mary finds herself, finds this and gets this message from Gabriel, the angel. In verse 26, this first verse we read, the sixth month, the angel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. It's just an unremarkable place. And I think it sets the tone for what we're really talking about this morning, which is this idea of humility. This idea that Jesus was born to a virgin uh, girl in a place called Nazareth. There was nothing remarkable about the whole situation. There was no good water supply in Nazareth. There's no mention of Nazareth in the Old Testament or in other ancient writings. It was just a bit of an overlooked town. And when we think about the God of Mary, we're casting our mind to the unremarkable nature of who Mary was, where she was from. Nothing stood out about Mary. And I think that is such an encouraging word just there. Because I think that often of myself. And I don't know if you think that of you sometimes, that when we talk about what well, God wants to use us and God wants to do great things for us and we just think to ourselves, well, <laughs> there's nothing remarkable about me. You're the perfect person that God wants to use. You're the perfect person in which God wants to move through and do something great in. Nothing stood out about Mary other than her humility and ordinary nature. And so if you find yourself this morning feeling like you're just an ordinary person living an ordinary life, I would say you're right where God wants you to be for him to use you. The God of Mary is extremely relevant to your life this morning, if that's where you find yourself. She's a virgin, she's engaged to be married, she's not married yet, and then she has this encounter with an angel. In verse 28, the angel came to her and said, greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. Favoured, blessed. I mean, we don't, as Baptists, really talk about the favour of God or the blessings of God because... Sometimes they can have a bit of a negative connotation to them. Um, but what is the favour on Mary's life? Was, was God about to bless her with riches and a new house and a Lamborghini, horse or donkey? No, the favour, the greatest blessing of God that Mary was about to experience was the presence of God in her life. Literally, the presence of God in her, which she, she was about to experience. And our greatest blessing is not something given to us, but someone with us. The greatest blessing that you will experience in this life from God is not something He gives to you, but just His presence in your life. 
And so often we can chase the favour and the blessing of God as something that is material, something that is to be added to our life, something that He is to give to us, a person, a relationship, an object. But He is saying the greatest presence, the, the, the greatest blessing, sorry, the greatest favour that you can have in your life is the very presence of God with you. In Luke 11, verse 27 and 28, it says this, As he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. And he said, Rather blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We love our Catholic brothers and sisters, but um, we don't hold Mary in the same position as the mother of God as they do. Because the scriptures clearly say, at least from our understanding, that There was nothing significant about Mary. She was not sinless. She needed a saviour. And you can read further on in Luke chapter 2, when Mary's song, she talks about the need of a saviour in her life. She needed a saviour because she had sin in her life. There was nothing special about Mary. She wasn't uh, more favoured than you or I. The greatest blessing that she had was to hear the word of God and to keep it. To have the presence of God. And Mary's response when she hears that she is favoured, what does she say? She says, oh, that's awesome. How good's that? I'm going to get all these blessings. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to get famous. I'm going to get all these followers on Instagram. I'm going to start my own TikTok real thingy and be famous. Everyone's going to love me. No, what does she say? Verse 29, she was deeply troubled. I mean, if what a response. And if this should tell us something about what it means to be favoured and blessed by God. What does it mean to be favoured and blessed by God? Mary, you are blessed. You are favoured. And Mary's response was, oh no. This can't be good. Why? Because blessing and favour from God aren't designed for your pleasure, but for your transformation. Blessing and favour from God aren't designed for your pleasure, but for your transformation. So often we want the the favour and the blessings of God because we think that'll bring me comfort, that'll bring me pleasure, that'll be just, it'll just be so good to experience the favour and blessing of God. And it will be so good, but not in the way that the world would say is so good. But rather it's going to bring about a transformation, it's going to bring about a challenge and a change in your life. And Mary understood this. So this was good, but not in a way that would bring comfort. And she was right. She was about to get pregnant. I've never been pregnant, but for those in the room that have been, from what I can tell, it's not all comfort and pleasure. I mean, it, there's good that comes from it, but it's not, it's not the best time. She was going to be pregnant out of wedlock, which in that culture and time was going to bring about ridicule and shame and shunning from her family with a child that would bring lots of attention and not all of it good. Mary's humility through this whole exchange is so clear and that is what God is looking for from you and I, is this humility of God, what are you going to do? He's looking for people that are not about themselves but about him no matter the discomfort. 
In James 4, it talks about this idea when, it, when he's talking about humility. He gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will give you the laughter. He will give you the joy. You get this choice in life. You can try to exalt yourself and your rewards are instant and in their full. Or you can let God exalt you and your rewards are not necessarily instant but they last forever and you don't see the fullness of them until eternity. I'll say that again. You get this choice in life. You can try to exalt yourself and your rewards are instant and in their full. You get it all just when you get it. Or you let God exalt you. You humble yourself and your rewards are not necessarily instant but they last forever and you don't see the fullness of them until eternity. So what does it mean to be humble before God? What does it mean? I've got three things that it's not, and then three things that it is. Sneakily snuck six points in. Humility isn't. What it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean insecurity. Humility is not insecurity. Humility still means you know who you are and whose you are. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Even Mary, her response is, in verse 38, See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Throughout Scripture, there's this sense that those who are humble are those who know who they are in Christ. They know who God has created them to be. And they're not insecure about their identity. Sometimes we think humility is, oh, who am I? I'm no one. I'm nothing. I'm but a worm. But that's not humility. Humility still knows who we are in Christ. Humility isn't weakness, but it's incredible strength through knowing who and whose you are and that you have nothing to prove. Humble people know that they have nothing to prove. They don't, I don't need you to give me approval. I don't need you to like me. I don't need you to give me encouragement. I mean, it helps, by all means, give encouragement, but I don't need it because I know who's, whose I am. And my worth and my identity comes from my creator. And that helps me stay humble. Number two, humility isn't indecisiveness. Humility isn't having more questions than answers, even though it can seem like that in today's culture. Like, who can know? I'm open to all perspectives. Anything could be true. I mean, in today's culture, that's sort of a mark of humility. It's just this openness and wishy-washiness of like, who knows what, what we could know or what could be true. But humility still in in a biblical sense, has this decisiveness and a conviction, if you like, is a better word. 
you can approach all subjects with humility and still have conviction on truth. Mary didn't know all the answers, but her conviction was an angel spoke to her and she knew what she had to do, that she was going to give birth to the Son of the Most High. She didn't go about saying, well, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Maybe I was hallucinating. Maybe it wasn't an angel. She had a conviction about what her experience was and what God had spoken to her about. She didn't know all the answers, but she knew what she did know, she held on to as truth. Indecisiveness is often nothing more than a failure to take God at his word. The third thing, humility isn't. It's not inactivity. I mean, there's plenty of scriptures we could use around this. The Apostle Paul lived his life and executed his ministry almost like a man possessed. He said, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. In Philippians 3, it says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in 2 Timothy, Paul says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Paul knew that he was to live out his faith. He wasn't to be passive in just what he knew, but he was to be active in what he knew. Mary doesn't stay, just stay quiet either. She doesn't think, ah, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. How often have you heard that from Christians? Oh, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And it's just an excuse to be passive. To go, oh, well, I'll just sit here and wait. And if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. He'll open the door. You don't see that sort of um, in Scripture as the way forward with God's will. The way forward with God's will is to take steps of faith and obedience. So I don't see this working, but God, you're calling me to it anyway. The door is shut, but you're telling me to walk through it. Okay, I'm going. I mean, Mary, what an example. Like, I've never had sex, but here I am, you're telling me I'm pregnant. I don't know if there's a bigger step of faith to take and go and start telling people I'm pregnant with God. Like, it's a pretty incredible step of faith. Well, Noah and the ark, I mean, that's an incredible story as well of just... What are you doing now? Building a boat. What's a boat? It's made to float. Float. Water. Rain. What? Like, if you read that story, it's just incredible. It's like this year-long obedience of just taking God at his word, even when it seems like that's not supposed to work. Mary doesn't just stay quiet and think, oh, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I'll just sit and be passive and God will work it out without me doing anything. No, she doesn't live like that. She doesn't think like that. She rushes, rushes to tell Elizabeth. I mean, you can read the whole of Luke chapter 2. And then she sings this incredible song of praise for the miracle that is taking place right within her. You see, God is looking for people who are secure in their identity, who are decisive in what they know to be true, and who are active in their faith, even when they don't know the way forward. So if that's what humility isn't, what is humility and how are we to approach God in the way Mary did to receive this favour, this presence in our own life? Well, the first thing I would say is, and these don't all start with the same letter like the first three, sorry, they're just all as they are. Humility is utter dependence on God. Utter dependence on God. Humility is this dependence on God and His mercy rather than ourselves. It has no dependence on ourselves. We don't trust God for most and ourselves for the rest. 
No, that's not biblical humility. Biblical humility is complete dependence on His grace. It's recognition like what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, that we are dead in our sins, that we have no ability in ourselves to make ourselves alive again. We are completely dependent on His Spirit at work in us. Completely. 100%. Mary, when she heard the news, she remarked, how can this be? Like, I have no ability to make this happen. This is all on you, God. This is completely your miracle. Because I can't make myself pregnant without doing something about it. But that's not how it works. If you haven't had the birds and the bees talk yet, that's not how it works. She had no ability to get herself pregnant as a virgin. It was impossible. And this is the remark of the humble. How can this be? I have nothing to offer you, God. How can I be saved? How can you accept me? How am I righteous? This is all you, God. I don't have anything to offer. Even my righteousness, as Isaiah says, is like filthy rags. Even the best of my ability is still nothing compared to your perfection and your holiness, God. How can this be? I'm utterly dependent on you. Second thing humility is, it's no concern for power, prestige or position. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, and we were sitting down and talking to the 12, he said, if anyone was to be first, he must be last and servant of all. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. You see, the position of the humble is not to get ahead, but get behind. The position of the humble is not to sit up on high and pull people up, but to get underneath and push people up. It's the picture of what Jesus did when he gave up in Philippians 2, gave up his heavenly place and came to be one of us, like us, and died an excruciating death on a cross. Gave up power, gave up prestige, gave up position for love. Whereas our culture and our world pushes this idea of get a higher position, promote yourself, get more power, get more prestige. That's what success is. But the humble person comes and says, I'm not about pushing myself up, I'm about pushing others up. And in doing so, God will exalt you. Mary was, it appears, never interested in gaining power or position before or after the birth of Jesus. She wasn't about getting her name out there. She wasn't about increasing her profile. She only cared about the will of God and the saviour that was about to be born. She was happy, or maybe, maybe not happy, but she was at least willing to be ridiculed by her family and society for the scandal of being pregnant outside of marriage. Because what God desired was far more important than what she desired. Sometimes our desire for not being embarrassed or shamed is far greater than our desire for God's will and his purpose. And so, because we don't want to be embarrassed, because we don't want to have any shame, we will, we will shun God's desire and we will disobey what we know him calling us to do. Because it means that oh, people will think less of me if I live like that. If I say that, if I act like that, I have to give something up for that and that's going to be too costly. The humble person desires God's will above our own. It's not always about 
position in the sense of being the boss or being the king. Sometimes the position is just being liked among your friends and keeping that sense of, um, of profile among your friends and your family. That humble people is willing to give all that up for the purpose of God. It takes real humility to value God's purpose over our own feelings. And the third thing humility is, humility is his way, not our way. Humble people are not concerned about getting their way. They are more concerned about seeing God's way. And this is so hard because we always think that our way is the right way, the best way, and of course we do. With all the knowledge we have, with all the experience we have, with all the insight we can gather, no one goes around thinking that their way of life is a terrible way of life. I mean, really, most people don't think like that. They think, if people could think like me, if people could behave like me, this is what most of us think, if people would think like me and behave like me, the world would be a better place. Honestly, I mean, that's what we, that's a deep down conviction I think a lot of us have, is that we think we've got it worked out. We think we've got life sorted out. But the humble person lays it down before God and his word and says, you know what, even though I understand my way and how I think the way I think and how I behave the way I do, and I don't understand your way, God, the the same way I understand my way, I'm going to trust your way over mine. I'm going to trust your way over my own way. Time and again through Scripture, the ones that step out in faith, the one that God's using are not ones that are leaning on their own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In all your ways follow him, trust him. It's Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 for those that are interested in scripture there. Trust in him. The humble person lays it down before God and this is what Mary did. See, I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. She knew she wasn't Mary's Mary. She was God's Mary. She wasn't her own. She wasn't her own entity. She wasn't self-made. She knew she'd been made by God for his purposes. I mean, again, if there's a counter-cultural way to live, this is it. Our culture will say, be self-made, be your own person. But the humble person says, I'm not my own. I was bought at a price. I belong to you, God. Not my way, your way. Mary knew she needed God in every way possible. My question for you this morning is the band gets up and we, we worship one more time is this. Are you, a, are you humble before God this morning? Is there an area of your life you need to lay down, give up and sing out, God, I need you? Are you too proud to sing? Are you too proud to lift your hands? Are you too proud to give up what you want and give in to the bigger picture of what God wants? The truth is you can't save yourself. You need God more than you know. 
more than you can work out that you need him. And every day, this prayer of God, I need you, should be on our lips. And if you get to a point where you think, oh, I don't need to sing that. I don't need you, God. I'm pretty okay at the moment. I'll say pray that the Holy Spirit might soften your heart, might humble you before the King of Kings and the Creator God. You need Him more than you realize. If you can't sing that, if you can't pray that, you don't understand how much you need Him. You need Him for your next breath. You need Him for your next heartbeat. You need Him for tomorrow, for the sun to rise, for food, for water. He sustains your life. He sustains my life. It's when we humble ourselves, James 4, when we humble ourselves and we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. My challenge for you this morning is don't be proud. Don't think, oh, it's got to be the right conditions, just the right atmosphere. Don't be proud this morning. Be humble and draw near to him. God, I need you. Can we stand together? Can we pray? Cross Locksport and Yarram as well. Let's stand and pray. God, our prayer this morning is that we need you. God, we need you more than we, the air that we breathe. And God, sometimes we forget our need for you. In our comfortable Western way of life, God, we, we forget that we need you and we fall into this insecure place of trusting ourselves and, and what we have around us. And God, I pray the Holy Spirit might just push us a little bit beyond our comfort zone this morning and show us our need for you again. God, that we might be like Mary. We might be lowly and humble before you. God, that we might really trust you for everything that we need. We might be able to sing out to you, God, I need you. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but if God's speaking to you in an area and you, you need to pray and sing this prayer this morning, God, I need you. I just want you to lift your hands just in an act of surrender in an act of humility, not worrying about what people around you are thinking or doing, whether you're at home by yourself, whether you're in the room here in Sale or Locksport or Yarn, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill this place. Help us to be aware of your presence. Lord God, we love you so much. We honor you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.